You're listening to special programming sponsored by Stovall and Associates Law Firm. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Good morning, this is Vegas Law Talk. This is Leslie Stovall. Uh, today I have the pleasure of having Shelley Berkeley as my guest. Um, I hope everybody's doing well this morning and uh, uh, I hope you enjoy our uh, conversation. Uh, Shelley, thank you so much. Uh, Leslie, I was absolutely delighted when your office called. It's nice to see you after all this time. It has been a while. It has been a while. And I understand you're doing wonderful. Well, uh, I think so. I'm, I'm happy. Uh, my family is healthy. Uh, Toro University, where you know I'm the CEO and senior provost, mm-hmm. is blossoming. And so it's, it's a good life, and I'm grateful for it. Isn't it wonderful? We're sitting here in uh, UNLV's radio studio. And what a wonderful facility. It, it most certainly is. And as I was sharing with you earlier, when I was student body president of UNLV, we were in the process of getting this radio station licensed for the students at UNLV. And so to come back now and actually see the facilities and know what an important function this radio mm-hmm. station mm-hmm. serves for the students, faculty, and for the entire Las Vegas community, makes me very, very happy. Well, and it's wonderful, and, and it's it's wonderful that you had the opportunity to be involved in that uh, and see it grow. Well, as you know, we're both, uh, you know, UNLV is our collective alma mater. Um, back then, mm-hmm. uh, you were a jack-of-all-trades, so, uh, you know, student government ran the radio station and did the yearbook and did the newspaper and did all the student activities, and now I think things are a little more sophisticated and mature. But 40, 45, 50 years ago, things were a lot different. You know, and I I agree with you. I know when I was here at undergrad and then grad school that uh, it seemed like uh, students were encouraged to be involved in development of programs like this. Uh, I know I got involved in the uh, setting up the uh, Graduate Students Association. And uh, the administration was very open to uh, encouraging students to do those kinds of projects. I don't know how it is today. Uh, I hope it's still uh, similar to that. Well, I would hope so too, but I have to tell you the experience I uh, I received in student government here at UNLV, and you know when I started, it was Nevada Southern University, right. and then it changed to UNLV. Um, but uh, when I started, we were just a branch campus of the University of Nevada in Reno, right. and that's when a few years after I, I started school here, things changed dramatically. And, you know, the rest is history when it comes to UNLV. But it uh, there wasn't anything that I did in my political career, which spanned 30 years, that I didn't learn as student body president of UNLV. You know, I was going to ask you if um, uh, if your interest in politics 
was encouraged or created by your participation in the student government here at UNLV? Um, I believe it was. I was student body secretary at, at Valley High School, mm-hmm. and I'm part of the first graduating class at Valley. And I gave, actually, I was invited to give the commencement address um, and their 50th anniversary, which made oh. me feel very, very uh, well. old. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, um, that, so I was student body secretary at, at Valley, and then I started at, uh, at Nevada Southern University, which was just the smallest little school. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were all coming from the local high schools. And mm-hmm. most of us, uh, certainly me, a first time college goer, my dad was a waiter uh, on the strip. Uh, most mm-hmm. of the kids that went to school here had family working on the strip. And we were the first generation in Las Vegas that actually went to college. And this was a big deal. But my experiences in student government really set me on the path that I uh, that I certainly loved as an adult. Is this at UNLV where you met Dina Titus? Um, no, I oh. met her afterwards. I'm not sure she was here yet, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you, her father-in-law, um, John Wright, who the building is named after, was my history teacher. Yes. And um, I just love that because I knew most of the namesakes of our buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such, it's hard for people to understand how very different it was um, so those many years ago. But uh, John Wright was my history teacher. Mm-hmm. Paul McDermott was one of the sure. members of the Board of Regents. Yes. Um, and of course, a, a very prominent businessman in town, That's Flora right. Dungan, uh, the yep. Humanities Building. She was on the Board of Regents. Right. I mean, right. you can go down the list of names of uh, of the buildings, and I knew them. There was an intimacy there that was pretty striking. Yeah, and there was a close relationship between, uh, it seemed like, in, at least instructors in the political science department I got to know very well. And uh, Me too. Yeah, yes, I uh, agree. And uh, it was nice. Uh, it was really uh, interesting. You yourself came back after law school. Uh, you got involved in uh, state politics. You sat in the were you in the assembly or the I assembly? I was in the assembly. Right. I, and um, interestingly enough, and there's so it, this was in a way, this is still a small town, even it though is. when we moved to town in 63, there were approximately 80,000 people in the Las Vegas Valley. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, well over 2 million. But uh, and when I was in office, I made it a point to meet everybody that <laughs> came in. Right. But for many years when I was in Congress, um, Clark County or my congressional district was the fastest growing district in the United States. Now, uh, you were, uh, uh, before you went to the House of Representatives, you were on, or was, yeah, you were on the Board of Regents. I was on the Board of Regents for eight years, and that was during the Tarkanian Maxim years. Um, At at the beginning, believe me when I tell you, when I would get phone calls um, from people, they were not, can you get me into school? Can you get my son? Nothing. Can can I get a ticket to the Thomas and Mac? I want to see the Rebels play. It was the hottest ticket in town and so exciting. And of course that came to an end. Um, But it was an exciting time. And then of course uh, you paid the price for an exciting time and the town was very, very divided. Mm -hmm. And uh, we uh, as a member of the Board of Regents we got uh, a lot of uh, 
uh, people were either very supportive of you or very hostile to you. Uh, with regards to Tarkanian leaving the school. Yes, and yeah. I, I was, um, much as I admired uh, Maxim for really taking this uh, university to the next level, I, I felt that um, Tark had been treated very, very unfairly. So. Well, I think a lot of people agreed with you at the time. And, uh, you know, I think Maxim, um, I don't know, maybe he could have handled things better. I don't know. Um, you know, it's it's past history now, and of course the university has moved on, but those are very exciting times, I have to say. When the Rebels were playing in their heyday, I mean, the Thomas and Mac was vibrating. It That's was, right. I mean, there was, was so much energy, so much excitement, and, yeah. and I remember Tark's last game, um, mm-hmm. you know, standing there, uh, looking around, thinking, are we crazy? We're, we're throwing this away? And so, unfortunately, but, you know, things move on and the school has certainly become far more mature. We have so many more graduate programs and the law school, which we didn't have when uh, I was a student here. Well, you were instrumental in bringing the law school to this to UNLV, were you not? That's a slight overstatement, well, but I appreciate it. You were on the Board of Regents. Before that, when I was right. student body president, mm-hmm. they put me on, I was the student representative on the committee that was um, uh, deciding whether or not we should bring a a law school to a UNLV because obviously the natural place would be where the judicial college was up in, up in, in Reno. Reno. Sure. Um, but uh, we uh, we did. I was on that committee. Then I graduated, went to law school, mm-hmm. uh, ran for office, came home, got appointed to the board of regents. Twenty years after I graduated, they put me on the same committee. <laughs> Nothing had been done, and so I vowed that I would not leave the board of regents until we had a law school and um uh carol harder was very uh very excited about it mm-hmm. jim rogers and and mr boyd yep. i mean they saw the possibilities and funded it those are the big contributors those that started were the, the school. big uh, boyd school of law that's right and uh, you know 20 years after i made the motion to bring the law school to um to unlv my son graduated from the Boyd School of Law, so it's been great for us. And your son is now running for a judicial position. And my son Max is running for Justice of the Peace. So That's I'm very—I have to say it now. I was in office for 30 years, Leslie, and I, um, you know, I became very accustomed to a political lifestyle. Um, but I have to say, when your uh, your son, your child is running, I was uh, driving down West Sahara, and uh, I saw one of his signs I practically drove off the road I was so excited I said oh my gosh look at that sign so it's yeah it's a different perspective as a mother than when you're the candidate well uh, it's a wonderful thing it's (laughs) a wonderful thing so uh, you uh, finished up your uh, term in um, the House of Representatives in, I think, 2013. Um, yes, January 3rd, 2013 was my last day. I worked up, and this was an example set by um, Dick Bryan, Senator Bryan. Right. He worked until 12 noon when his uh, successor was sworn in mm-hmm. and Dick's um, the staff came in and said, uh, you know, the senator, 
you have to leave now. And he picked up and left his desk and closed the door, and that was it. And I thought that that Dick Ryan is worthy of emulating. So when my time came, I did the exact same thing. What did what was your um, what what were you uh, most felt best about when you were in Congress? The the what you accomplished? The VA hospital in North yes. Las Vegas. Yes, um, it started out. Um, uh, uh, I had a. Um, uh, veterans advisory committee. I had right. a Hispanic advisory, uh, African American women. Mm-hmm. You name it. I had an advisory committee for it that included the veterans. Right. So we had our first meeting. I was a young freshman at the time, mm-hmm. and when it was over, a group of the women vets, mm-hmm. mostly from World War II and Korea, came mm-hmm. over to me and they said, "We want our own advisory committee. We don't want to be with the men." Okay, so we started a Women Veterans Advisory Committee. First meeting, they said we need a mammogram machine at uh, the VA clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, because without it, you know, we a lot of us don't drive anymore. We have to get transportation to the VA clinic, mm-hmm. and then they give us kind of a prescription to go get a mammogram. Then we got to go back and get it read. And so I decided, you know, my, working with my staff, we were able to get a mammogram machine. Mm-hmm. And at the ribbon cutting, and I still have pictures of it, um, at the ribbon cutting, I made a, a quip at the podium that, you know, next time, we're going to get an MRI machine. Someone came over to me, one of the, um, uh, I guess, um, people that worked for the VA. Mm -hmm. And they said, think bigger. And I said, bigger than an MRI? (laughs) And they said, you need a hospital here. You've got over 200,000 veterans in the Las Vegas Valley. And if anyone is really sick, they got to go to Long Beach. And they're away from their family, away Mm -hmm. from their support system. And that's when my mind started going. And that's not going. (laughs) My mind is still (laughs) here. (laughs) Started moving. Moving. And and uh, that was a big priority for us. And even, and you can see how things have changed so dramatically in Washington, Mm -hmm. Um, during the time that we were getting the funding Mm -hmm. and moving towards um, acquiring a VA hospital, um, the Democrats were in the minority. So I was in the minority party and was able to work with the majority party to get the approval Mm -hmm. and the funding for a VA hospital. And that I don't think would happen anymore. And, I don't think so. And I, that is very unfortunate. unfortunate. Yeah. Yes. And it's, uh, you know, beautiful 44 acres. Oh, uh, it's a wonderful facility. It I've really been up to is. the VA hospital. It's, I'm very, very proud of that. That probably was my one uh, uh, my one most significant accomplishment. It's a wonderful thing. So uh, we thank you very much for it. It's my thank pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, uh, you are now the CEO and uh, provost of the Toro University, both here in Nevada and the northern campus of Toro University. That's exactly correct. And, um, uh, you know, after uh, after I you know, I lost the Senate seat and mm-hmm. I was sitting on my couch feeling really sorry for myself, thinking, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I love public service, mm-hmm. but I don't have a job to be a public servant with anymore. And I received a very fortuitous phone call um, asking me if I would like to be the head of Toro. And... Uh, 
you know, I said immediately, I have no academic medical background at all. Um, just because my husband's a doctor doesn't qualify me to run a medical school. And they said, well, we still want to talk to you. And in two and a half weeks time from the initial phone call, uh, the day after Thanksgiving of that year, 2014, I decided to do it. And best thing, one of the best decisions I ever made. Well, you sound like you enjoy it very much. I absolutely love it. And we are educating the next generation of healthcare providers for the state of Nevada and beyond. I didn't realize uh, I was doing some research that Toro is the largest medical school in the state of Nevada. Is that correct? Yes, we had 4,200 applications last year for 180 slots in the med school. UNR has a little over 60 students graduating a year, UNLV around 60. They'd like to go up to 120, and I'm sure they will. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, every one of those students and future doctors are needed in this state. So I'm thrilled to be a part of that. One of the uh, things, uh, if I understand, that you're interested in, uh, in your position, were residency programs. Uh, What's the significance of residency programs? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. And again, this is newly acquired information for me. I did not know uh, eight years ago when I took Mm -hmm. the job, a little over eight years ago. Um, When you finish your four years of medical school, Mm -hmm. you're still not a doctor. I mean, you're a a doctor, but you're not practicing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You need three years minimum residency. Mm -hmm. before you could actually practice. And so those are, it's called graduate medical education. It's a residency programs. Nevada has, is about 48th in the United States when it comes to providing residency programs. They're expensive to create. They are funded by Medicare and uh, Medicare funding is way down. And so if you are in a growth state like Nevada, um, there was no way for you to keep up. So um, rather than waiting, and I think this is a tremendous tribute to our legislature and Governor Sandoval and now Governor Sisolak, they recognize the need for doctors. We have a tremendous physician uh, shortage in this state. And we we have for many, many years. Forever. And the only way to correct that, because here's the interesting number, 70% of doctors end up practicing where they do their residency. Hmm. If we don't have residency, programs, all of these future doctors that are getting their education here have to leave town, and 70% of them are not coming back to Nevada. How does it look for the future? Do you see the funding coming from the state legislature that will help out significantly? Uh, We have... in, when Brian Sandoval was governor, he was the first one to recognize the need and funded, along with the legislature, um, I think $10 million biennium happened a few times. And then when um, Governor Sisolak came in, he continued it. Now, they cut it slightly during the pandemic mm-hmm. um, because they had no idea what the state budget was going to be right. like, but there was still funding. And now I'm hoping that uh, people are getting out and about and ho- hoping praying that things are going to get back to normal. We'll know what the budget is uh, for the state when the legislature convenes, and hopefully there'll be additional funding. If we're waiting for the feds to fund Medicare to help us out, we're going to be waiting an awfully long... You and I won't be here anymore. (laughs) So I'd like to see this done before we leave. (laughs) You're also interested in health uh, care reform. Yes, we have a system where we need to ensure 
that people are insured and that they can, uh, they have access to affordable health care. And I think that is something that's very important. This is what I don't understand is how people can say someone should not be entitled to health insurance and not, and then ignore the fact that those persons are going to re- require health care anyway and the cost shifts to the taxpayer. In the end, we pay for it one way or another. And it gets more expensive when you sh- I, I, shift it over. You are 100% right, Leslie. I, 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 I listen to people argue uh, against universal health care and I just go, you don't you realize how much more expensive it is and that you're going to pay it anyway? Plus, it's, it's very uncaring. How, how could anybody be so cruel? Um, I, in the end, if somebody is terribly ill and they don't have insurance, they're going to end up at the UMC emergency room. That's right. And we're, that's our tax dollars that are paying for that. So I would rather see everybody with affordable health care insurance so that they can take care of their own needs. And you know, that begins with children. That begins neonatals. That begins during pregnancy. If you don't support those people, you have the, the health care expenses over a lifetime are lifetime tremendous. Lifetime chronic disease. As a matter of fact, I'm awfully glad you mentioned that um, uh, United Healthcare mm-hmm. just gave Toro University a $2.6 million grant to create a prenatal program. So Wonderful. we're in the process of creating that program and going into underserved communities to provide prenatal care to women that don't can't afford it. And again, they were going to live longer, live healthier, and save billions of dollars of taxpayer money. Exactly right. So I was going to ask you, uh, when we were talking about you coming over to the show, I I asked you some of the topics that you were very interested in. Uh, I'm not sure which one to address or to ask you about at this point. I know voting is a really key topic for you. Uh, What is your concern about voting this year? Well, you know, uh, you and I talked about this off air. Um, uh, Look, I think people are very confused, unhappy, frustrated, Mm -hmm. angry at the political system right now. Mm -hmm. But I am encouraging everybody because I hear all the time, I'm not even going to vote next time. I don't care anymore. I don't like any of them. I I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. They all are terrible. But my opinion is this is the time that good citizens roll up their sleeves and get involved. I don't agree with everything the Democrats are doing, and I don't agree with everything that uh, obviously the Republicans are doing. But I know this. My vote, my voice matters as a citizen. And if I sit this out, if you sit this out, then who is going to be running this country? So let's, as citizens, let's... Let's appreciate our democracy and the fact that we have a right, we have a voice in this country and a responsibility as an American citizen to do our part. And that is at the very minimum to go to the polls as an educated voter and cast your ballot. If you don't like the person that wins, there's another election in two years, I promise you. (laughs) That's right. There's always another election around the corner. But if you don't participate well, just shame on you. I think of it in terms of a duty. I uh, do too. It, it is something that uh, we n- must do so that uh, we join everyone else in determining who will hold those elected positions 
to sort of steer our government uh, from election to election. I, I couldn't agree with you more or less. And, um, you know, I'm the granddaughter of immigrants that came to this mm-hmm. country. They couldn't speak English. If they hadn't gotten out of Europe when they did, uh, they would have been exterminated in the Holocaust. I mm-hmm. wouldn't be sitting here talking to you now. They came here just so that their children and their children's children could have a better life. A better life in this country includes participating in the political process. That's right. And and by doing that, we keep our country in uh, hopeful, optimistic, and welcoming. Our country is truly uh, a country of immigrants. Uh, my generations back came uh, from Ireland and mm-hmm. from Scotland. And, uh, and it saved them. This country saved did. them. Uh, I, I suspect they came during the potato famine. Mm-hmm. Years uh, and years ago. They would not probably have survived if it wasn't for the United States welcoming them. That's right. And, and I think everybody should embrace the fact that we're a country of immigrants, and it's a wonderful thing. I, um, and I am sure that your grand, whoever came, great-grandparents, parents, okay. they, uh, they could not have had an easy time here when they got here. Uh, I'm sure they struggled the same way mine did. You know, I think that's the story of most immigrants is that you struggle and you find that the struggle is worthwhile and it uh, uh, teaches you that it's it's worthwhile to to go through the struggle and to become a citizen and to participate in our, our country. I couldn't agree with you more. And neither one of my parents, I mean, they were newly, you know, they were born in the United States, but they came from definite immigrant parents. Um, they Neither one graduated high school. But a generation later, I mean, the most important thing in our family was getting an education. My parents didn't care if my sister and I were pretty, if we were popular, mattered that we got good grades so we could make something of ourselves. And that's why UNLV was so significant to us. And, you know, you and I could sit here and talk about the importance <laughs> of education and and the greatest renewable resource we have in this country, our children and education, yeah. educating our children. And that's another topic that people don't should talk more about. I know. And, you know, it's uh, it's just so frustrating because we need to desperately improve our education system here in Nevada. We fund it very, very poorly. And then we complain that our, our education system isn't stellar. Well, you get what you pay for. You sure do. And I don't understand how come a teacher and my family's a family of teachers. Mm-hmm why they are paid less than, say, a fireman or a policeman or uh, a nurse. I think, you know, in in our society, in our culture, um, people are valued by what they make. I mean, it's not, uh, they could be wonderful people and all of this, but in the end, that uh, I have my daughter-in-law is a teacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's shocking how how little she makes and how necessary she is. I mean, she is a vital where, person. Where, in, where would any of us be if yeah. we didn't have good teachers from preschool yeah. all the way through university graduate schools? But those those early years are, as we all know, are some of the most are the most important years. And those people who dedicate their life to doing that should be well compensated because the job is so important. And listen, it's not an easy job. You have to be well-educated, well-trained. You really know have to know what you're doing 
to be successful. It is. Uh, it, you are 100% right. And, you know, I, I w- was honored with having a school named after me, the Berkeley Elementary School. So I go down there. I try not to be intrusive, but one, when invited, I go down to That's see wonderful. the kids and go into the different classrooms. And I'm looking at these kiddies and they're, they're the future of this community, the state, our nation. And they deserve better than we're giving them. They do. They do. Absolutely do. And hopefully someday uh, things will, funding will be corrected. I hope so. It's And it even, let me even mention this. When I was in the state legislature, so this mm -hmm. is like a million years ago, um, I I was part of this. It doesn't seem that long ago, Shelley. uh, Oh, uh, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. But uh, it's gone very fast, though. Very, very, now it's going too fast, you know. Um, I was part of this group. We were the young Turks in the legislature that's talking about economic development. And as Mm -hmm. much as I love the gaming industry, and I really do, mm-hmm. I recognize that we have to diversify our economy, bring in high, good, high-paying jobs for our people, and mm-hmm. we started going, there were a group of us started throughout California in trying to encourage businesses to relocate to Nevada, mm-hmm. and these were fledgling tech businesses um, that I'm sure don't exist anymore and have been bought up by the big guys, but they said back then... And this is 1983. Hmm. They said, you know, we, we love your climate. We love your location. We love this, that. But they, we don't love your education system. You've got to have good education system for all businesses. I don't. It, it's not just tech. All businesses, finance, okay? Absolutely. Uh, Manufacturing, all businesses require and look for good education systems. And I think you're right. I think that's one of the reasons Nevada's had trouble doing economic development. And, you know, I'm a member of the board of the Las Vegas Global Economic Alliance. Our Mm -hmm. mission is to encourage businesses to come here. And we're still battling with the education factor. And until we recognize that it's an investment in ourselves and our future and our future economy, um, Nevada is still going to be struggling. And that's unfortunate. Once again, it's short-sightedness, right? It's kind of like healthcare. It's like, well, we're, we're not going to spend the money on this because whatever. Not realizing or not recognizing or just simply ignoring the fact that you invest now. It's yeah, like, you pay now, pay later. <laughs> and you're going to pay more later. Pay more later. That's yes, right. indeed. That's right. Shelly, it's been wonderful. Les, it's great to see you. My pleasure. My pleasure. And thank you again. You're very welcome.